Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. It's just after 8 o'clock in the evening on uh, uh, Wednesday. So, uh, I'm in Hindoff Towers. Tim Gray is on assignment this week. Uh, no replacement for him. There can simply be no replacement. Uh, however, this is Series 13 uh, and our episode number is episode 19 uh, this week, 18. Uh, being last week. Uh, let's do uh, a little bit of housekeeping. And uh, first of all, Chris Humphrey says, tuned in to Specutainment, packing my marshalling gear ready for Silverstone UK. Uh, Going to be moving, running around the paddock and helping race control. Excellent. Uh, two hours of washing up for Chris Suku. Alexander Orkin says, no EFAs for him. Looking forward to the show as I tidy the kitchen. Um... Pepper sauce was tonight. Yes, I made the pepper sauce this evening. Uh, thank you, Shit. Uh, who else have we got? Oliver Wiley tuned in. Give me a wave. I'm wearing a hat. That's a lovely hat, Oliver Wiley. Thank you very much indeed. Hello to the Nicky team who's following us now. Do we spend the weekend uh, with him as well? Uh, all good stuff. Uh, at Specutainment, of course. Partial apologies for absence, said Rob well, Chalmers. I need to live out late in the show. Part of my plans for sweet revenge. <laughs> he says. I'm not quite sure how um, you spell mwahahaha like that. Uh, anyway, uh, on the show tonight, all the usual features, despite the fact that Tim uh, is not here. Uh, we've got an exclusive update with the Sean Edwards Foundation. Daphne McKinley Edwards, Sean mum, Sean's mum, will be uh, on the show later on in an interview that we recorded at the re- weekend at the... Nürburgring. Uh, we'll be looking back at all the weekend's action, looking uh, forward to some of the news as well. Graham Goodwin and Declan Brennan hopefully joining us in hour two. Shea Adams to come in the first hour, but we'll get things started uh, with a little bit of news and introduce our first guest here on Midweek Motorsport on RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels. <laughs> All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And our first story tonight is Formula One. And for that, we need our Formula One correspondent. That is Nick Damon. Evening, Nick. Evening, John. And hooray! Yes, very good. And I have a question. Go on, then. Which one of our um, listeners is doing two hours of washing up? When was the last time you washed up to take two hours to do washing up? That's because Chris Suku uses washing up as the excuse uh, for doing the washing up. 
So that's uh, all good, all good stuff. Uh, that he says, <laughs> I'm going to do the washing up, and he disappears. Yes. Which right. Think, oh, it's a euphemistic washing up. It, well, no, it probably starts. Uh, it probably starts as uh, real washing up, and just ends up with him dunking his hands in. He must have very just, soft hands, or very he's wrinkly. He's playing hands. with the bubbles at the end, isn't it? <laughs> yes. If he ever gets a, um, if he ever gets a dishwasher, he's in real trouble. Now, this time last week, uh, yes. we were talking. And I seem to remember yes. that some one of our presenters, and and perhaps you can remind me when I finish this sentence who it was, right. said Barcelona at the weekend. This will be a Mercedes fest, and uh, Lewis will drive off into the distance. Mercedes know all about the the medium tyre. They run on it the most. They know Barcelona. It will be a procession, and they will romp off and win by a country mile. Now I I can't quite remember who was pilloried for saying that. Was that was that Mystic John? Mm. I don't think you were pilloried. I think oh, I actually won't be that easy. And I, I, Except I, it was, wasn't it? Well, it turned out to be, didn't it? But it was a bit of a surprise because even even uh, come the start of qualifying, no one thought things were going to work out that way. That um, did. It's, it was obvious. Uh, Ferrari were looking quite well. The Ferrari, the, the, yeah, the qualifying you know, wasn't that much in it. They were a little bit quicker than people were, were, were having an eye what was going to happen. Obviously, the weather was changing and... Uh, it was a very comprehensive victory in the end, um, and all sorts of issues were, were mooted, including the tyres, the new version of the tyres, which are massive, 0.4, four of a millimetre thinner. Bloody hell, I couldn't well, even I, see no, hang on. Is, yes, but the question is, is that width across the tread? Oh, I thought that was depth of tread. Depth of tread, depth of tread yeah, right. 0.44 millimetre, which as we all know, is, you know everyone, I'm sure they have at least 8 millimetres, because that's how a new, new tyre should... I know it's not, but... Um, yeah, I think it was a, it was a surprising it was a surprising race at the front on a number of levels. Not only the ease at which uh, Mercedes bounced back, but also the fact that Ferrari bounced backwards. <laughs> so one bounced back forward, the other one bounced backwards because it wasn't even like Mercedes hopped past a you know a Ferrari at full strength. You know, it was pretty much that Ferrari was struggling reliability wise on Raikkonen's car and and basic tyre wear. On uh, on Fettel's car, so it was a, a double whammy as such. That Mercedes, uh, as you say, they do love a bit of Barcelona, uh, and uh, Ferrari, for some reason, despite being relatively effective at, at, at the circuit in testing and improving the car since, just fell off the pace. Uh, so Mercedes did well in uh, Barcelona, mm-hmm. um, which we're very excited about, and uh, and as was predicted. Okay, um, if that's not going to work on that one, look, works... are you looking to play a, a jingle? Yes, but it's not going to work like that. Is it Montserrat Cavalier? Yes, uh, but don't. Can don't I do worry. it? No, no, you absolutely <laughs> can't. Uh, we had singing in the rain, of course, at the Nurburgring. I did think of you. Can I, can, uh, I, can, I, can I do weird chicken impressions and win Eurovision? No, absolutely not. I'm not even going to talk. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm not even going to talk about that. Um, oh, just something I need to remind myself to do there. Uh, right, okay. Um, so Mercedes were on top, no doubt about that. Um, yep. Ripple came through, but they weren't as but, super fast as they thought they were going to be. Well, well, let's let's take Red Bull then, because uh, Verstappen um, lost it again. 
drove into the back of somebody, managed to get away with it, didn't get a penalty for it. Mane was very lucky this weekend, still didn't look great. Looked into third place because Ferrari got burned by doing the right thing. Well, that was very unlucky. They, they, yeah, they had they, they, only, they had to stop because they had um, this is under the virtual safety car. They had to stop again because of the, the tire wear they were experiencing. So they knew they were going to have to stop. They pulled it in, and they were a little bit slow. And then they got stuck because I think it was Perez came in, and they couldn't get the car out. And it was just so they ended up having a five and a half second stop rather than the usual two point two two point four. And those two seconds were enough to put them behind Verstappen. So they were, uh, yeah, it was it was it wasn't yeah they were having some problems. They weren't really lucky. I mean, the Red Bull team didn't look particularly competitive on a number of areas. Um, Danny Ricciardo, ever since he became the greatest driver ever, TM, after China, um, has uh, has not looked that impressive. He, has, he, he ran Max at the back two weeks ago, and, and he spun his own with nothing happening um, this weekend. And then trundled around the behind, and then he just bunged in a, a massive, quick, fastest lap to win the DHL fastest lap, which means nothing. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 yeah, it was a more positive result for them because both cars finished and both cars scored points. Uh, Verstappen finally got a decent finish, but as you say, very, very lucky. Yeah, he, he stuck a, a you know, $100,000 worth of uh, wing end plate in the back of uh, Lance Stroll and got away with it. And also, because Ferrari were, were not working particularly well, the, uh, the, the loss of downforce was not um, too effective on him. But um, I think what we did see, really, is that it, you know, it, with these regulations, it is still very, very difficult to pass at Barcelona. And my, and my prediction, which would be we'd have, a, we'd have a dull race after our three exciting races, was only stopped by um, some, some, some absolutely terrible driving by various people, or one person, and then and cars breaking down, bringing out safety cars. So, um, you know, it, it wasn't... That wasn't surprising. But the, the only thing, I, the only thing I was surprised about, I think, you know, and, and I know you, you, you were right about Mercedes came, but the thing that was surprising was that, that Ferrari, despite doing some quite clever development, including the the halo wing mirrors, did fall backwards. That was a surprising mm. thing. Uh, this is the, I mean, an extraordinary turnaround from Lewis Hamilton, who going into Bahrain was 17 points adrift of the championship lead, now finds himself, or now has fought himself and raced himself into, because he hasn't just found himself, it's not just like somebody's given him a shed load of points. Um, he, find, he is now 17 points in the lead. He's strong in Europe. He won the championship with an extraordinary six or seven races swing in Europe last year and looks like he's going to do exactly the same this year frankly and there's two more races in Europe this year as well with France and Germany that's a good point no I think what, what, what do you have to think about is that, is that Lewis has since Australia been out been out of form or out of sorts I'm not happy but he's carried on plugging away he's a bit like a you know a tennis player who who gets behind in the set but keeps on grinding out and grinding out the, the points even though they're not playing well and then with a flash of brilliance, you know, a, a Nadal or a, 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 a Federer can then pull it all off in the um, in the tiebreak because they've got that, you know, as they say, form is temporary and class is permanent. And that's, that's I think, what Lewis has shown us, really. I, I sort of liken it to, um, you could say a tennis player, yes, but a golfer as well. You know, when things are yeah. going wrong, go back to basics. Just do what you're good at. Don't start messing. When golfers reinvent their swing, you always know yeah. that they're in trouble. And and they're out of form for quite a while. Oh, I, 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 I mean, backhand needs work. I, I'm gonna I'm going to do something different. Mm, no, let's not do that. Let's just do what you're good at. And I, uh, the the post race interviews that I saw. Now, bear in mind, I only saw the the highlights because I was travelling all day Monday. But I, I did catch the post race interview. And what I saw from Lewis was a man who. He's been pretty grumpy, hasn't he, at times this year? But he said, you know what? 
that was pretty good. That was. He's been grumpy with himself most. Yes, yes, and he, and he, and what came through from me is, I think I've got my head around this now. Um, the team's worked hard. I've worked hard. And he didn't actually say these words, but this is what I'm getting. The team have worked hard. I've worked hard. We've got something together. The car's got a balance that I like. It wasn't quite. Uh, and he actually did say it, it wasn't perfect, but it was pretty close to it. And now, and you could almost hear him sort of clapping his hands and rubbing his hands together right now now I could get into the season now and I, it's almost like I'm not going to have to worry about the car and driving the car anymore we've got our heads round the new tyres round the tyre compounds whatever it was that they didn't have the balance with before so now I could just get on with the business of racing and doing what I do best and that's what I got that's what I got from that and it was a different Lewis In I mean alright it helps that he's won it helps that he's leading the championship but I just saw a bit of confidence and a bit of self-belief and how many times on this show have we said the person who's most likely to be Lewis is Lewis but I saw that self-belief that had been mis- that, that had been missing yeah, and I agree. I couldn't. I couldn't really, really annoyingly. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, the, he's going to have a tricky weekend, I think, in Monaco. Um, yeah. What the interesting thing is that that yeah that that Mercedes has actually been a reasonably good race car all season. It's just not been a very good qualifying car outside Australia, and that's put him on the back foot. And he specifically, you know, he he then had the issue in Bahrain with the gearbox penalty, so he was slightly further back. And then in China, he he, he was he was outsourced in China, and then in Baku, you know, he was there or thereabouts and lucked into it because the Ferrari was quicker, and then it was completely dominant. So we're, we're five rounds in, and we've seen every single side of 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 Lewis, but he's you know. Whereas before we've been at this point in the season where he's been driving quite well, I mean, like 30 points behind because of mechanical failures. Yeah. He's sitting there, as you say, with a 17 point lead, a selection of races coming up where he tends to do well. Um, and, you know, Ferrari slightly on the back foot, but there's a huge ebb and flow to this season. And, you know, and I think none of us would be surprised to see, and this would obviously upset Ferrari a lot more if we saw a Red Bull 1 2 at Monaco, it could very well happen. You know, these are. This, 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 Monaco is a place where Ferrari will actually want to try and get Red Bull in between themselves and Mercedes can make a catch-up because there are still plenty of circuits where, you know, the Silver Arrows are going to be dominant. But uh, it's it's a much, much closer season. And I think tiny little swings are going to affect it. And certainly when you get to a circuit like, you know, the circuit like Barcelona where it's not easy to overtake, it's it's, it's just so crucial to get those, the Saturday right. You know, there are, and there are a lot of those tracks coming up. Uh, rest of the results. Um... Well, I think there should be a award for for world's most lonely race. Oh, for, for Kevin uh, Magnussen. Kevin Magnussen, who literally, after after getting past the first corner kerfuffle, saw nobody at any point ever who was on the same <laughs> lap as him, um, and just trundled round and went, "All oh, right, I've come, I've come sixth. Yeah, brilliant." And he, he was so far ahead of seventh and so far behind fifth, it was ridiculous. But you know, that's sometimes you've got to take, it, haven't you? But uh, his teammate obviously covered himself in smoke and uh, disaster, really. So Roman Gojon, whose up and down career is going down, down again, again mm. um, is is but, looking uh, I was a little gonna, bit. Sorry, Nick. I, I was going to come to that because that was the that was the first lap incident. Um, he made a mistake. He went wide. He slid wide at turn three, and yeah, he was going to be sideways. Anti stall would kick in. Everybody would have gone by. He would have started the back, of the, started effectively the race at the back of the grid. Ex- <laughs> except he lit it up and spun it right across the rest of the pack. Now. I haven't seen anything, any sanction or investigation yeah, he's got on three, that. He's got a three-post penalty for the next round. Oh, has he? Okay. That was the most bombast thing I've ever seen. To, 
but at Monaco matters a lot. And no, it was terrible. It was just ridiculous. And obviously, it, uh, Nico Hulkenberg and uh, Pierre Gasly paid the biggest price for that because he he, took, he wiped them both out and they couldn't see. You know, you know how you normally told him to aim for the car because it won't be there? Well, they couldn't see where the car was. Um, so, so they didn't know what to aim for or what not to. <laughs> Exactly. So there was an element of luck. Everyone who started the race behind him was just, just basically it was blind good luck or bad luck. What happened? But yeah, that was ridiculous. I, I, it, I, sorry, I interrupted you because you, you talked about um, Grosjean and uh, in, in talking about uh, Kevin Magnussen. Magnussen in sixth position, more points for Haas Ferrari. Uh, Kevin, who's had a bit of an up and down season. I mean, nothing much for him to do. Kevin, but, but Kevin, he, in races, Kevin has been really, really, really good. Yeah. He's managed to get himself in six arguments during the rest of the the rest of the time. He had a, you know, a little coming together with with Gasly in the last race, which was entirely about being unsighted. It wasn't in any way malicious, um, and uh, you know, the, the key the key fallout from that was a part of his car which which burst um, uh, Bottas's tire. But I think Magnus has been very impressive. Magnus, effectively drive is, is securing himself a drive at that team next year and the question is what happens with the other drive and and you know we have yeah, when we get to the person well let's, let's jump to it is I Leclerc because he's now done on two tracks he knows well he's put together two brilliant it is well, I very Hey, well done. We've got that one running. <laughs> um and this is an interesting situation because you it, it, you know if we look at the um as we always like to look forward, and Leclerc obviously is doing his first year. It's looking like he is going to repay the promise, mm. but it's unlikely, even so, that Ferrari will want to ping him into uh, the main team immediately. So, what happens? You know, so therefore, do they want to sign up a, a three-year deal with Ricardo, where they got him on, you know, and not have a space for him for several years? And would they actually rather he was next year in their? number two team also well the team with the second best speed in Haas so it's, he's giving them a nice problem at the moment but I'm sure it's that's going to delay their decision making uh, on who goes there. Uh, Max Verstappen we've talked about Red Bull nice to see that that uh, wing end plate which costs that much money to put on actually makes very little no difference. difference what they know uh, there's 127 people that don't need to be working anymore Dang, that must really be annoying uh, Danny Rick uh very well, fast at the end of the race. Why couldn't he do that at the beginning? That's what I'd be saying to him. That's what every team manager says when you put in the fastest laps at the end of the race. Where was that pace earlier on? He was the last man on the lead lap. Then Magnussen. Signs uh, for Renault, fairly uh, un- that was it. uneventful race. Alonso in the points again for McLaren. The second McLaren conked out. Did we find out what that was about? Uh, it was a, a driveline issue, gearbox. Uh, Sergio Perez once again in the points for Force India. He does seem to pick up points when they're on offer. There were, although he was two laps down. And Tizai Leclerc, who got the final uh, points for or point for Ferrari. Lance Stroll uh, and Marcus er- uh, and Sergei Serotkin uh, outside the uh, points for Williams. Rising. The the Williams would be better off at being parked outside Battersea Dogs Home. They were no, awful, race, weren't they? they? They weren't awful. The car's awful. They're awful. The car's awful. You know, even uh, Robert Kubica, who, tried, who was test driving on Friday, said the car was terrible. Well, uh, the thing is now, what you know that things are going bad, Nick, when um, your team name is prefaced by the evil handling. Yes. Insert team name here. And and Williams have now become the evil handling Williams. The awfully... It, everybody is, is pointing out how awful that car looks on the track. And that, that's got, got to be error. a worry. Yeah, it's got an error stall issue. That's... 
that's not me saying that's Alex Wirtz saying that he's one of their technical advisors so in aerostall situations if you're, if you're using you're generating downforce by running the car through the air as with everything there's a certain point an angle of attack and a, a, where the air stops creating downforce and just stalls like when a plane gets loses enough speed it falls out of the air well this is the reverse of that when the car when the, the Williams car gets to a certain combination of angle of attack and speed it loses all downforce which is rather worrying when that's what's keeping you on the ground or keeping you attached to the ground that said the McLaren chassis doesn't look that much better now that they've got a, an engine oh, that, that can't... Well, it's the second best chassis in F1. Come on. Says who? Well, McLaren. Well, in, in fairness, it's, it's still unencumbered by any sponsorship decals, so it runs through very the air true. pretty well. Very, um, very aerodynamic. It, it just does uh, That car doesn't look right. Um, it doesn't wear its tyres. Um uh, well either so now that they've got an engine that can actually last in the uh, Renault engine uh, the gearbox and driveline have become an issue and they, they're they starting to see that the chassis concept perhaps wasn't working but Alonso is still managing to, to wring four points out of it at the end yeah, he's, wrestling, he's wrestling it through the uh, through the uh, the races and he's you know, still putting in the greatest driver of his life TM each time um, <laughs> you know, know it's, it's, it's very sad to see uh, probably, yeah. Depending on which side of the fence you sit, the best driver in F1 or the second best driver in F1, um, running around, you know, because he's politically inept, basically. Great at driving, but politically inept. Hmm. Uh, Monaco next. Yes. Very exciting for qualifying. Actually, before before <laughs> we before we go there, I did notice that Barca, Barcelona, and I, I, I'm very, I have got the right key here, but for some reason. No, it's not having it. Um, mine, I'm trying to play it at London from here. In so you know, who knows what's going on in between time. I have my my electronic uh, extended big hand on a one of big those finger. you know those big foam fingers. It's like on yeah. a big thing. It's pushing the button, but it's not working. Um, it, it it was it wasn't full by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, are are the Spanish uh, falling out of love with Formula One? Well, they fell out of love with it a while ago enough to make Valencia a financially unviable. No, I think it was a reasonable. I think it's got they've got a large number of banks there, which it's hard to fill up. I mean, I think they're that yeah, the Spanish is still suffering a bit more than a lot of countries are from the slowdown from 2008, believe point. it or not. Yeah. But uh, I think I don't think I think the numbers were fine um, compared to what's been before. Did you see F2? Oh, I didn't um, because of my travelling, and I just didn't have time to catch catch up. Do you want to tell me what happened? Yes, we won. Who says very parochially, Britain won. Right. But if Can't... I say F2, Britain won, who won? <sighs> who would you think was won? Um... Who's Britain's rising star in F2? Oh, but, but then clearly he didn't win. No, he came third twice. So George Russell? George Russell won the feature and Jack Aitken won the sprint. Oh, I'm so pleased for Jack Aitken. Um... So, so Lando was third twice, was he? Yes. See, he's yeah. dry. He, I said this after. Um, I said this after Russia, after not Russia, um, Azerbaijan. I th- he's driving for a championship. Yeah, I think it's more a case where it was Art Grand Prix who who looked a little bit better, and I think it's, the, the, it's a case again. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure if Carlin are quite as on top of the the new car as some of the more established teams. Yeah, I know Carlin are very established, but obviously in the GP2 field, it's um, it, and equivalents, they've not been for so long. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was a, it, yeah, there was a, it, it was a, um, 
It was a good couple of races, actually. Um, again, I, I'm loving it. Formula 2 this year, and I, I was annoyed that I missed it. Um, so I, I am loving Formula 2. I, 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 it's... It's a car that is clearly built for overtaking. Um, you can get close even on downforce uh, tracks. Um, is that it's Alex Albon, isn't it? I want to call him. Alex Albon was on pole, I think, and then it faded away. I mean, there was a lot of time out. Well, Albon was uh, second in the first race and fifth in sorry fifth in the first race and second in the feature. Album was on pole for Dams. Um, Seti Kamara was on second place. Back uh, very quickly. Um, <laughs> he, yeah, he seems to, he's, he struggles with tyre management quite clearly. Um, but Albon's an interesting, Alex Albon's an interesting guy. Um, I, I think that he's got a, a real, um, a real future. Is, is he the, um, Ty? He's the t- yeah, but he's the only, pretty much the only guy. He hasn't got, he hasn't got a signed up. Um... Yes, he's about the only guy who isn't linked with the Formula One well, he team. Was, he that. wasn't signed up for the whole season until last weekend. Oh really? Yeah, I think I think again it's a it's a rolling finance issue for the poor man. But yeah, no, I mean I think I think F2 is looking is looking quite good. And there's you know there's several um, drivers. I mean George Russell's obviously now won two races. Uh, and is I would think you know with his an interesting obviously well we've we've just had the test at Barcelona for the last two days one of the very few in season tests I think on Monday um, we had um, just about every up and coming British driver there so you had um, uh, Norris Aitken Russell you even had uh, Jordan King there and Oliver Rowland finally getting mm. their fun run out um, in the Williams so you know there's a, there's a yeah we are yeah, again let's get too pro we are down to one British driver in F1 which is always a worry because you don't have none uh, but there is a, another generation coming through which is nice because we don't get the situation like the French do with no drivers in a few years uh, plenty of Spanish in Lisbon at the weekend uh, not Formula 1 fans uh, no they were obviously Eurovision fans because that's Says. the important happened in Lisbon uh, that's that's why of course there was nobody at the Formula 1 race that was from rotation uh, Chris Suki says I do have a dishwasher and it takes two hours to stack using the McNish method which, <laughs> which involves several iterations of de-stacking is there, a, is there a spirit level involved as well? Oh, I, I, I would think so. Uh, add Speculatement if you'd like to get in touch. Uh, right, Monaco, as we say. Monaco next then for Formula One. So it's all about qualifying. And is this the, is this the best chance yeah. for somebody Don't to... Don't forget, it's the first time we'll be seeing the Ipersoft. Ah, the Ipersoft. Chewing gum soft, yeah, I mean... So yes, they, they, and, and all the teams have literally just gone barnstorming crazy in their selection. I think what, yeah, they have to have at least one set of all three tyres. So, they, so, but some have gone with one super soft, one ultra soft, and ten hyper softs. So they aren't giving themselves many right. uh, options. But uh, yeah, there's a lot. So yeah, it should be interesting to see. It should be a, a very hopefully. Um, it's a nice dry qualifying because the things should be as quick as they're ever going to be because the, the statement is that with the new era regulator next year they're going to lose a second to a second and a half so we could be getting to another high water mark of speed that yeah uh, is this the best chance for somebody to you know get ahead of Mercedes just in qualifying best chance, best chance for Red Bull and, and, and Ferrari as well I mean Ferrari would, would probably be expecting and hoping that Mercedes qualify 5-6 um, you know, there's a lot of ifs and buts in that tight circuit, but then they want to make sure they're one, two, and not three, four. But you know, the Red Bull, you know, they kind of are pretty certain that they were already, already focusing their season on on Singapore and Monaco because that's a chart, the place where they can win on pace rather than winning on clever tactics as they did in China. Yes. 
Um, and what's after? We're in Europe for a little while now, aren't we? No, no, just once, then we go to Canada. Oh, yes, of course. We go to Outlier in Canada, then we come back, and we come back into uh, Europe. I think we do. There's a triple header, isn't there, coming up? I think it's a triple header is the next one, which is, uh, I can't remember. We go to France after that, and I think it's obviously, I think, did you go to France, Austria, Britain, or Britain, Germany? Anyway, there's, there's a triple header, and there's about seven races in 12 weeks. Okay. Or 11 weeks. Sounds reasonable. Then it's on a break. I got all my Italian circuits mixed up at the weekend and panicked like mad because I thought I'd sent Graham and Alex Brundle to uh, the wrong place because I thought I'd sent them to Imola. Um, and much better as far as I'm concerned. They'd gone to Monza. However, the excitement was at Imola um, where the World Superbike uh, Championship continued with two races dominated once again by yeah. J- Johnny Ray. Yeah, I mean, after a kind of exciting opening with a with wins from Melandri and, and, and uh, you know, a, a, I think a couple of outlying races as well in Buriname. Unfortunately, um, or fortunately, if you are a fan of Mr. J. Ray uh, of the good parish in Northern Ireland, um, it's business as usual now, isn't it? Um, he, he's won uh, four of the last six races and the ones he didn't win, he was second in. Um, and he is establishing a massive lead. He won two races. He's now equaled. I, th- I thought he, I thought he could beat it this weekend. Apparently, apparently he could only equal what he has done, which is Carl Falky's all-time uh, race record. Oh, I th- with, no, with I record. thought he had beat it. No, he equaled it. I was surprised. I thought he was going to beat it this weekend, but he has equaled it on 52, I think. Uh, but he's opened up a 47-point lead, so that's just shy of wow. an entire meeting, because the most points you can score is 50. So, um, And that's from Chaz Davis, who is doing what Chaz Davis does well, which is winning the odd race, picking up the odd podium, and then falling off occasionally, which is why he falls back. I'll tell you that the big difference that I noticed was in the reverse grid race, because... Um, Things have been changed. They've tried to shake things up a little bit, trying to keep Kawasaki from winning. They keep winning. Um, in the second race, Chaz Davies started, I want to say seventh, and yeah, Jonathan Ray started yeah. eighth. Ninth. Maybe ninth. Ray was ninth as the so, winner of the pre Right, so Chaz Davies must have started eighth then. Um, and within three laps, Ray was in second. Chaz yeah, Davis, I mean, Chaz Davis was still is, in sixth. If you started ninth in... Uh, F2 at the weekend, you know, even you being a Jonathan Ray better than the rest of the field, it was still taking you 27 or 20, 20 laps to get to the front just because it's really difficult. Obviously, in motorcycle racing, one of the great things about motorcycle racing is passing is not as difficult by any means because the, the things are much much narrower. And, you know, he makes a good start, carves his way through, and he's he's, you know, he's negated that disadvantage in, as you say, three laps on a regular basis. Because the thing you have to remember is he's really, really good. He's super. He's super yeah. good on the brakes. I mean, overtaking people in racing. Yeah, he made overtaking spots where nobody else overtake was overtaking. All right, into the chicane. A few people tried that. Some people got it more wrong than right. He got it pretty much right every time. He also was getting his line a completely different line coming out the chicane on the front straight at Imola than anybody else. 200 miles an hour diving down the inside of people going around the first kink on the left-hander I mean I think Imola is a great circuit I love watching anything on it I love watching bikes on it but Jonathan Ray made it other than having to charge I mean you might as well make him start 10th every race he would at least he would make it interesting for the first few laps um, because he is just that much better I know the Kawasaki is good but he is that much better I think probably it's best not to give the uh, the organisers that idea (laughs) <laughs> uh, a couple of other people who I thought did well at the weekend um, Michael Rubin Rinaldi on the Ducati um, he has problems 
it with tyres, funny enough. But it, he I'm was he was very, very good. Very, very exciting. I like to see the way he was riding, spinning up the rear wheel, getting the bike sideways a lot. Uh, that's, probably got, that's probably why he's got to probably tyres then. Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, exactly. I, 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 I thought it was two good races. It was, you know, beautiful... Uh, uh, beautiful weather, great venue, um, but you might as well give Jonathan Ray unless unless he decides to take three months off and go on holiday. Um, I mean, he's got three fastest laps, he's got uh, five wins and three seconds out of ten races and eight podiums. Extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, no, it's, it's, he's doing what he's doing. And of course, the next round I've just realised um, is in the UK, in at Donington. Yes. When guess where I am? Uh, Imola. Imola. You're doing, <laughs> doing a Declan, I'm, Brennan. I'm doing a Declan, yeah. I'll be at the, I'll be at the event where the previous round was. <laughs> Declan, actually, on uh, our uh, text uh, chat, has just said, very noticeable the Ducatis have reached the edge of their performance envelope. They are waiting for the V4 instead of the V-twin, aren't they? That's, that's coming soon. So, yes, they've got the V4 Panigale is out next year, and the road-going bike has had nothing but best of ever reviews admittedly it's twenty-two thousand pounds so it should be the best ever but, they, but so hopefully they can translate that to uh to the performance but of course they are now playing the game in the even roles because they're going to v4 so they're going to have a leader as well so for the first time in in our memory john they'll be uh ducati with the same displacement as the as the jack bikes the the um yeah the the they're the, the having a lot of issue with the road bikes there's been two or three recalls already for engine mapping and fuel mapping um, uh, it, it, on the, the, the V4 Panigales that are, that are out there. Um, so it might not be the oh, V4 Panigales out there are actually V4 1200s. They actually, it's, it's a, I'm going to say a sleeved version. It's not. It's a, a smaller capacity race engine. It's probably completely different with magnesium castings like it was used to be on the fabulous SP bikes you used to be able to buy. Um, and I had one once and I sold it and I regret it. Um <laughs> But um, yeah, so it's, you it's, could say that I mean, about yeah. so many of your vehicles. I had one of those ones. I sold it, and I regret it. Well, yeah, but that's the one that I think they're going. Oh, that's the one that's a lot of money. Um, Chaz Davis was trying very, very hard, uh, and he was again at the weekend. And and you know, uh, the reason is I think that they, that they they do have a performance disadvantage on the Ducatis, and this is the point that Declan's making. It's, well, no, I think tra- I think if you look at certain tracks, the, the, the thing about the Kawasaki is a fabulous all-round bike. It's not got a weak point, so it's good at every single track. It's as good as an, as an Assen as it is at a Monza if they go to Monza on a very fast track. Whereas obviously, super it's quick in a straight line. Circuit, there's certain circuits where the Ducati has a, actually has an edge, but of course the flip side of that, there's other circuits where it certainly has a deficit for example they you know when Melandri won the first two rounds in Australia obvious Ducati was working really really well at Phillip Island in those particular conditions with that particularly very high uh, degradation tire wear you know and, and with everyone getting used to new rules and, and there'll be another round I think is it, yeah there'll be another round in this series this season when you're not going to you'll, you'll just see the back of the Ducati tailpipes because they are very very good very very track specific but on the whole the Kawasaki is is the bike to have and still not really performance it should do is the Yamaha and yeah. not even close performance it should do is the Honda. You know, what what are Honda doing? Well this you was know, meant why, to be the, the year of redemption. Bike. This was meant to be the year of redemption for Honda, wasn't it, with the new bike? Yeah. I 
nothing. There's nothing. I mean, they had some issues. They have been unlucky with injuries. They've injured a lot of the riders have, have hopped off and hurt themselves, and in a, in a very non-Mark Marquez way, they've fallen off and hurt themselves. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's just really really strange. Now Declan's on the line, and I I need to say something because Declan brought to my attention that something is currently happening that's never happened before. Do you know what it is? Which is what? There is a female leader of a world championship. Ah. In Anna Carrasco, the, um, oh, yes. the Spanish rider, is now is leading the World Super Sport 300 event um, entirely on merit. Um, and this is entirely under Declan who, who raised this, who brought this to my attention, that, they, that she is um, very, if he carries on like this way, we will have our first female world champion of a um, track-based uh, motorsport discipline. Mm. So that's quite exciting. Thank you, you for that. Uh, yeah. You're right. It's the Prosecco uh, DOC UK round. How appropriate Prosecco in the UK? As, uh, does, that, does, that, does that mean the entire crowd be uh, uh, sort of thirty-something mummies? And eating cheese as well and going with it. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, That's the 25th to 27th of May uh, at Donington Park on the long circuit. Uh, So all the way down to the hairpin. Uh, Who's going to have the advantage there then, other than Johnny Ray and Kalisangi? All the Brits go well at their own round. They always have done. Historically, we've always made, until they mucked about with the tyres, which they did, this is very old news now, this is probably 17 years ago. the wild card event, the wild card rises you come in from British Superbikes. It used to be brilliant. You'd have, every, well, I, I, I'm sure you went to lots of Donington rounds and lots of Browns rounds, and in, in, in our, you know, and it was great because you'd have the regulars, which was no, it was pretty much Fogarty and a couple of others, and you'd have all the guys. You'd have the Whittams, you'd have uh, Reynolds, you'd have um, even Mitnell McKenzie would come and do some of these Superbike rounds, uh, and it'd be fantastic. And, you'd, and, it, and they'd all be up with a run at, because of the knowledge of, of Donington, which is quite a tricky little circuit, and the circuit knowledge is, is rather useful. So. Uh, but it's going to be won by Brit. There we are. I'm not really putting in their cat too far, am I? No, indeed not. Uh, t- uh, thanks for being with us uh, this week. Are you? Oh no, I'm not here next week. So. Oh, you're being virtual. I am. I am virtual. Yes. Uh, next week, uh, I take a slight break because uh, I'm on duty with the Forza Racing Championship again, and we'll be. I'll be following that, uh, and all the way through to the world final in London later on in, in the year. Uh, yes, of course you can. I can sort that out. Friends and family, absolutely. I'll be sorted. <laughs> uh, Nick, thanks very much indeed. Okay, cheers, guys. Uh, Nick Damon joining us for the uh, Formula One and other news this evening. Uh, let's hop across to the other side of the Atlantic and uh, to uh, Fort Lauderdale where Shea Adam uh, is joining us this evening and say well it'll be good afternoon Shea Adam. Hi Shea. Hey John. Good afternoon to you or good evening to you. Time zones. Uh, yes, time zones. <laughs> God, just so, so complicated. Uh, busy weekend for us. Uh, you were watching the American scene. We'll talk about the month of May in IndyCar. Let, let's do that last. Uh, let's start with sports cars and IMSA. Um, uh, amazingly, six teams uh, at Watkins Glen today and tomorrow for the IMSA World <laughs> Tech Championship. 
Yeah, there's no rest for the weary, John. Uh, Acura Team Penske have both cars running at Watkins Glen. Obviously missing one of their drivers, though, as Ilio is elsewhere. Uh, the JDC Miller Motorsport crew have all three of their drivers, so it's Steven Simpson, Chris Miller, and Misha Goikberg pounding laps. Uh, we've got the Land Motorsport Audi. That car is being driven by Chris Meese and Sheldon Van Linde. It will be the two of them sharing for the sale in six hours of the Glen in about, well, a month and a half's time. Uh, P1 Motorsports returning. They have yet to announce their lineup for the six hour, so we don't know who's testing. Uh, but for the 54 Core Autosport, of course, that's going to be Colin Brown and John Bennett. And then the 63, well, we wouldn't expect anyone else besides Gunnar Jeanette, uh, Cooper McNeil, and Alessandro Balzan. So a lot of cars running around Watkins Glen. And if you're in that region of the world, I'm sure it's some beautiful sounds coming out of there, too. Yes, uh, even the teams who have sent their cars off to Europe aren't just sitting around with their feet up. Of course, all the GTLM teams uh, aren't at the next race at Detroit on Belle Isle, so their cars are wending their way to Europe, or in some cases have already uh, arrived. Um, Ford Chip Ganassi Racing testing this week in, in Europe. Yeah, and if you're on Instagram, look up Joey Hand because he posted a series of hilarious videos of him trying to find certain corners around Monza and being unsuccessful at first, finding places to buy food and all sorts of goodies. Um, But yeah, cool video seeing Briscoe going around first. Uh, Westy should be there. I don't know if he's there yet. But uh, Dirk Mueller also heading down. And of course, Joey, he is around the track. Uh, but the Porsche team from the U.S. will also be heading over there at some point. The number 93 and 94, as they will be labeled for Le Mans, they were putting shipping containers a couple days ago. So they are also now making their way over. And Corvette Racing, they did their test at Road America. It was successful. So now those yellow beasts are heading across the pond as, as well. Um. Uh... As I say, we're we're back on the streets. Uh, not literally. We still have a roof over our heads. But we our next <laughs> race, uh, we are back on the streets, uh, and that is Detroit. That's with IndyCar. Uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, let's have a let's stay with a roof over our heads and talk about uh, stock car racing and NASCAR. This is all about Harvick this year, isn't it? Oh man, if anyone can take that guy down, that will be the question of the season. I think he got his fifth win of the year so far, a fourth or fifth. Uh, this last weekend, he looked untouchable. At one point, Truex mounted uh, a sort of a bit of an attack to try and get back up to the bumper of the four. But Kevin Harvick, for whatever reason this year, is literally driving away from the rest. And Kyle Busch looked to be a very strong contender about midway through the year. But all of a sudden, Harvick has turned on the afterburners. It's one of those things that you kind of are happy that it's not in the old format because if the points were as they were before we had all this chase stuff going on, Kevin Harvick would have already won the championship without doing any of the rest of the races. Uh, So there is still a bit to play for, but it it really has been the season of Kevin. Yes. Uh, Lots of penalties uh, this season. Uh, Not just this weekend, but going back a little bit. Improper rear window support. It's sort of the thing that people have latched on to, that it seems that that is the best way, not necessarily to cheat the system, but maybe to get a bit of an advantage. People have been having these windows that almost look like they're flexing at certain points going around the banking. Uh, It was Kyle Larson this week who fell prey to that penalty. He got an L1, which is basically being suspended from school. It's it's pretty (laughs) serious when you think about it. 
Um, but for his rear window, it was flexing improperly. The team claimed that it was from some contact that he sustained while running out there in the lead of the race because he also looked to be very strong early on. But after further examination, the headquarter, the R&D department in North Carolina determined that, no, this was something that, yeah, maybe the contact had a little bit to do with it, but this was something going on before that. So Larson gets an L1 penalty. He joins Kevin Harvick uh, from when he won in Las Vegas. There was a rear window penalty for Chase Elliott in the number nine a bit earlier in the year after the Texas race. Last week, there were two penalties, both for Clint Boyer and for Daniel Suarez for unapproved body shapes uh, when they ran at Dover. The system really starting to crack out a bit more, and they are handing out the big and painful penalties. They're not giving out little slaps on the wrist anymore. Just getting, uh, you're just getting a little bit burbly there, so I'm just going to uh, cut off and call Shea back. Uh, whilst I remind you that we're, uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 13, episode number 19. Shea should be uh, back with us now. Can you still hear me? I am. You? That's it. And that has solved the little problem. Uh, it is the month of May, so let's talk a little bit about Indianapolis. Indianapolis? Indianapolis. Um, already had a race there, of course, and it was significant <laughs> for Roger Penske. We've had Chip Ganassi with uh, a big number win uh, earlier in the season in IMSA competition for yeah. his organisation and the captain uh, has gone to a milestone as well uh, this last weekend well and and when you think about it it was Chip Ganassi's 200th win period at the Rolex 24 hours a day toner earlier in the year it was win number 200 for the captain in IndyCar competition this weekend. And before I give it away, John, I'll just give you a little bit of history from the Indianapolis Grand Prix. It's been held five times now, and four times it has been won from the pole sitter. If I tell you that Will Power was the pole sitter this weekend, who do you think won the race? Um, Will Power? There you go. He and Robert Wickens, though, they drove away from the rest of the field at a couple different points over the course of the race. So Power wasn't out there on his own. He did have competition, and he did have to hold off one very, very challenging Canadian. But he managed to do that. It was a fairly uneventful race i'll put it nicely it wasn't the most exciting one and i know you said you haven't seen the race yet no i haven't if if you want a good excuse for a nap it might be something to turn on no um, but but i did i mean first first of all what i'd say is robert wiggins continues his fantastic season and yes. and proves you know that whatever anybody thinks about him being a rookie as far as his IndyCar career is concerned he can drive anything and he can drive it anywhere but how about yes. Dixie all of a sudden Dixie oh. back on form some of the more established drivers been struggling with this new car this year but I mean, where he qualified was it 18th or 19th and came back to stand was- on the podium it was qualified 18th, and, you know, John, at one point I, I was texting with Tony DeZeno over the course of the race, and at one point they went to an onboard shot of Dixie. He's a guy who's known to have crazy steering traces to begin with because his hands are constantly moving. He looked like he was fighting the biggest monster you've ever seen, though, because his car was so wicked loose. He, he wasn't pointing the steering wheel straight at all over the course of the lap. They did a lot of changes to his car during the race, and he even credits it really good strategy and good pit work to get him up to 
third, which if you were watching his onboard early on in the race, when they pitted him well out of sequence because his car was such a handful, you thought, oh, he's going to be lucky to finish. At one point, Emma Dixon even tweeted something about how it was hard for her to watch the race because her husband looked like he was struggling so much. It it was a small miracle for Scott to get on the podium. Uh, 30 wins each for Will Power and Elio Castro Neves. Indy 500 next. And, uh, well, we'll maybe talk about that a little bit closer after we've had uh, Bump Day on Saturday. And it is a Bump Day that has meaning this year. Paul Day on Sunday. Uh, the points, uh, Rossi by two to Bordier, uh, Dixon uh, another 20-odd further back, and he's uh, seven, six, five ahead of Hinch, who's three ahead of Rahal, um, all two well, ahead of Rahal, pretty close. Well, Joseph comes into the Indy 500 for the first time ever with that number one on his car, the championship winner from last year, and he comes in with the points lead again. So it's going to be interesting to see how the pressure applies to Penske's youngest driver and the one guy who really doesn't have a, a good record at the Indy 500 or at, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. When you think about it, he's got Helio, who's got a bajillion wins there. He's got three. You've got Power, who's got two win- three wins at the Indianapolis Grand Prix. And you've got Pagano, who's got two wins at the Indy Grand Prix. Then mm. you've got Joseph, who's got a goose egg. So how is he going to handle it? Well, so far, he hasn't been the fastest one out there. It's been Simon. It's been Elio. Right now, it is Marco Andrei. We're just going to have to wait and see how the young American can step up. Uh, so, Shea Adam, looking at the American side of sport, um, and a bit of an announcement here from Radio Show Limited. Delighted to say uh, that uh, Mobile One and Bentley have chosen Radio Show Limited to be their exclusive uh, digital partner for their attempt at Pike's Peak this year. Uh, Bentley choosing Mobile One uh, for their engine oils for this unique motorsport challenge. Uh, the Bentley Bentayga are t- is taking on the extreme conditions of Pikes Peak and the hill climb in Colorado. It's aiming to beat the current speed record in what's described by Bentley Motorsport as a one-off uh, attempt. Now, we, we spoke about this before, uh, uh, earlier on in the year, when this was bubbling under um, Mobile One on board to help the Bentayga in its attempt. Uh, I mean, going up the hill, there's lots of turns, hot temperatures at the bottom, getting cooler and less air up the top. I have no idea how you even start doing, uh, building an oil to make that happen. Now, I got up the um, entry list for that because we're going to have some features on Pikes Peak, uh, some exclusive content uh, on Pikes Peak. It's the weekend after Le Mans 24 hours. So we're giving you fair uh, fair warning uh, of this. This is an exclusive, by the way. The first time this has been mentioned that we'll be, uh, be covering Pikes Peak for Mobile One and the Bentley Challenge. So uh, as I think many people know uh, it is going to be Reese Milne, uh, who Milne, who's uh, driving the uh, New Zealander, who's uh, driving the Bentley Bentayga up the hill. So I was just sort of having a look to see which class he's in. He's in the Pikes Peak Challenge Exhibition class, and there's things like uh, uh, a 1949 Ford in there, Dodge Viper, an accurate RDX, Jordan Guitar, uh, driving that, and 2015 Dodge Viper. So some interesting bits and pieces in there. But then 
I started looking at some of the other names. Well, we know Roman Dumas is going to be there because the Volkswagen AG brands are well represented. He's got a Volkswagen ID-R, Pikes Peak, in the unlimited division. He's sending that up the hill. So if I go down a little bit further, David Donoghue, who we know is in a Porsche GT3R. Now remember, Pikes Peak is fully paved now, so you can take a lot more in uh, different and interesting things up there. A Gilet Vertigo in the hands of Vanina X is going up there. This is all in the Time Attack 1 uh, category. Uh, Akio Kobayashi has taken up a Porsche 911 GT3. Now, well, I'm just scanning down even as... Because well, I don't want to miss anybody that I picked out. I'll come to the Porsche GT4 Cayman Club Sport class in just a minute or so. But there's uh, Peter Cunningham. Peter Cunningham driving an Acura TLX GT. He's going up there. Um, what else did I notice? Somebody was taking... Ah, Randy Popst in the Ford Mustang GT. He's. Got, I mean, this is becoming a, a, a GT and sports car drivers. Uh, day out. Ray Evanham's going up in a 1936... Uh, 1936 Chevrolet sedan. And... Uh, that's all good. Um, but I'm tremendously interested in the fact that Till Bechtelsheimer and CJ Wilson are going up in Caymans. And we'll be talking about that uh, a little bit more as we get closer to the event. Also, Travis Prestrana and Tim Pappas are uh, in that class as well. So, very interesting indeed to see those names uh, on that list. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we uh, get closer to the event. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 13, episode number 19. Uh, we'll get more from our guests after the hour. But now, uh, one of our very favourite people to speak to, who I caught up with at the Nürburgring last weekend, uh, is Daphne, Daphne McKinley-Edwards. You might have heard her talking about the Sean Edwards Foundation uh, on the uh, race uh, programme that we did from the 24 hours of the Nürburgring. Uh, Daphne was... Uh, was uh, promoting the Sean Edwards Foundation and talking to the ADAC at the Nürburgring at the weekend. And she took some time to update us on how the Sean Edwards Foundation is going on. And uh, first of all, I asked her what it was like being back at the Nürburgring. Martin Racing was... That's if I can manage to uh, get the right thing for you. Let's try that again. It's very exciting to be here, obviously. Um, it's the first time I've been here since Sean won in 2013. Uh, a lot of uh, memories, a lot of very positive memories, and of course some sad ones as well. Um, with the foundation, it's quite exciting to see that the Nürburgring uh, Norschleiber has adopted the Sean Edwards test. We designed it originally. Uh, we were the first people to, to bring the test in, into operation in the world. Um, and they did actually, uh, we were in email uh, conversation uh, way back, a couple of years back, and it's really nice to see that now that, that that's actually been adopted here in the Norschleiber. So um, with regards to education, we continue within the foundation to look at areas within circuit, particularly the track days, 
circuits where Sean was killed. Um, I'm looking at that quite closely at the moment, uh, uh, pulling in ideas, talking to people. Um, I would like to also talk with the race directors and organizers here at the Nürburgring because they actually produce a phenomenal race here and logistics are incredible. And this is a circuit that is unlike any other in the world. It is dangerous, it's probably one of the most dangerous circuits that you could go to. The runoff areas aren't very big in places, the speeds are very high, we start a lot of cars. And yet, the respect that the drivers show for the regulations and the way the regulations are implemented make this, relatively speaking, a, a safe race. That's more than anything about what you're talking about. This is about education, this is about having respect for your competitors. Absolutely, um, and it's very interesting talking to the drivers uh, where we developed the test and I was unsure as to how that they would take it because unless it's accepted by the drivers, uh, it's not going to fly. But in fact, the drivers, and even speaking to Adam, who's uh, currently fighting for the lead, um, uh, the other day on interview, he was saying actually when we first took it, we went, oh my gosh, test. They were very nervous. But in fact, what has happened is that they now all talk about it and they come back to me with more ideas and more places where we can look at educating uh, the drivers. And speaking with Earl Bamber last night, I found it very fascinating that he only just learned about the impact um, that it, at a crash or a testing or even a knock on a helmet can have for the driver's helmet and he was showing me how the uh, foam on the inside impacts and there can be a tiny little bit of play between the inside of the helmet and the driver and they don't a lot of the drivers don't actually realize that they need to change the helmet yeah. so it's uh, educating the drivers on all of these areas that may appear small but actually if they go into another crash and that helmet hasn't actually been changed and they're, they're unaware of what's happening then it can have real fatal consequences. The Sean Edwards test that you've been talking about, give, give our listeners a, a little brief overview of that. That's not all that you talk about. You're talking about safety standards at circuits, you're talking about behaviour, you're talking about education in the, in the wider sense for anybody who gets behind the wheel of a car at a motor racing circuit, whether it's competitive or attractive. But the test has been something that you've been able to show as um, uh, an item that you can put in front of people that they can understand? Yes, uh, it's uh, not only for the pro and amateur drivers, we're developing it in many other areas as well. So the test is uh, testing the driver about his flag systems, the race protocol and also about every single series have different rules and it's very difficult for a driver to remember every single series if he's you know changing from one to the other so the test just re-establishes uh, that he knows exactly the race rules and regulations within each championship um, and we also put in there some medical uh, questions and we keep adding to that. So for example, we're, we've developed the media test this year because um, we found within the Blank Pan series that uh, we've had nearly a, a fatality within the uh, media, within the pit lane. So we're developing that and uh, we're piloting that this year. And then uh, we were also looking at uh, uh, implementing the Marshall's test as well. Uh, a lot of people in the UK, Daphne, will hear this and say, 
well, hang on a minute, that's that's basically what you do when you go for your your original competition license. But number one, there's no refresher course from that. Once you've qualified once, even if you're upgrading to an international license, as I did a couple of years ago, you don't get tested again. It's about experience of racing. But the other thing is, not everywhere in the world has the same kind of system of upgrading licenses or even taking any kind of test before handing over a racing license. Not every country does that. Uh, yes, that's correct. And that's where I got the idea from. Because after Sean was killed, I spent the next two years really talking to organizations, drivers from all over the world. And one common factor that came across was that each driver in each country the licensing process was different. So there's no standardizing of how a driver actually uh, obtains a license. So one country can actually pretty much go in and buy one, and another country, fortunately the UK is fantastic in its regulations, but you know, you have in the UK where you have to go through mandatory steps in order to get that license. Well, that's like here at the Nürburgring. A, a, a Formula One driver can't just come here and show his super license. He's got to be qualified and get what's called the Nürburgring permit. And that goes through some of the things that you're talking about, including some e-learning and some e-testing as well. Yes, uh, and that's where the Norschleiber uh, originally came to us uh, because you know we had we effectively designed it for them and um, they've taken it into the Norschleiver so that now that everybody coming from all over the world have to pass the Norschleiver test so again it's a standard it's, it's setting another standard and that's what Ceph wants to do they want to have more standardized uh, systems uh, within the motor racing community do you feel that you're making progress because some parts of the motor racing world don't like change. Um, I know how persuasive you can be, but even so, it, it must have been, a, 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 you know, first of all, it must have been difficult to get the momentum going, but then to get in front of people and, and make the case, have you found it relatively easy, not so easy in some other places? It's extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult to change an industry that's set in their ways. Uh, I was fortunate enough to go to Stefan Rattel, who got exactly what I was trying to do. So he saw the bigger picture. Uh, and thankfully, the SRO helped develop that with me. Yes. Now, the next step is now the Norschleiber have got the same test. And the next step is that I've sent it to the FIA, where I'm hoping that they will look at sanctioning the test and bring it across the board in the world. It is very difficult. It's slow, and you have to knock on a lot of doors, and you have to keep knocking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, from, from my point of view, as an occasional driver in sports car racing, I think it's tremendously important, particularly in what I call our side of the sport, because you have such a mix of pro and amateur drivers, such a mix of, uh, of experience there, that you want to go out there, and a lot of people like me go out there, and we want to enjoy ourselves, and we don't want to be having to worry too much. Yes, you take it seriously, but you want to know that you're safe out there, and in, particularly in mixed category racing and mixed ability racing, I think tremendously important. It is extremely important, and I think a lot of people don't realize uh, how dangerous it can be and I think it's you know it's fantastic people want to go out and enjoy themselves that's what motor racing is about but there is a very harsh lesson to learn should it go wrong 
and that's where we're trying to educate people to just think about things uh, a little bit more yes go out and have fun mm. but let's cover the basics in order for you to have that fun I completely agree how can people find out more whether they are competitors series organizers you'd love to hear from them as well at the at SAF the Sean Edwards Foundation yes uh, contact us through the website uh, always it's anybody is like Daphne at Sean Edwards Foundation Paul at Sean Edwards Foundation is our press officer and uh, pick up the phone give us a bell we'd love to hear from everybody the more information we have the more in-depth information we have the better uh, we can turn that around maybe into helping it's a brilliant initiative Daphne thanks for being with us thank you very much for having us Midweek Motorsport where we're only halfway an extraordinary lady, uh, Daphne McKinney-Edwards, who, McKinney-Edwards, Sean Edwards' mum, and delighted to have her on the programme again. Uh, look that up. If you think there's anything that you can add to that, do it. It's a brilliant initiative. In our number two tonight, we'll be talking sports cars with Daily Sports Cars editor Graham Goodwin as we look back over a weekend and look forward uh, to the Le Mans 24 hours. Declan Brennan talks to us this evening as well. Maybe we'll get him to have a word about CJ Wilson uh, as well as what we've got him on for which is about changing the law in the States and how that might affect uh, motor racing, particularly the funding. Keep the tweets coming at Specutainment. This is Midweek Motorsport on RS1. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. Shea Adam is still with us and uh, I just want to go back to what we were talking about uh, before we heard from uh, Sean Edwards' mum Daphne uh, there Shea uh, and that's the Pikes Peak um, I mean that is first of all if you didn't hear it just before the break we mentioned it uh, that Mobile One and Bentley have chosen Radio Show Limited to be their exclusive broadcast and uh, uh, digital partner for the Pikes Peak Hill Climb Challenge for this year. Some extraordinary names on that entry list here. Holy cow! Yeah, that uh, that got my appetite whetted for sure. A couple of our friends are on there too, John, that we're used to seeing climbing a different mountain on the other side of the world. I noticed Tony Quinn's name was on there, as well as Rob Holland, a guy who did uh, Bathurst. Uh, I think that was 2014 now. Um, but yeah, just incredible lineup. Mike Skeen and Tim Pappas, as you mentioned, a couple guys who were used to seeing driving sports cars. And it is such a legendary race that even in the U.S. now, it's starting to gain that little bit of momentum. It's not the kind of thing that's normally at the top of the news, but it's not that far away. Yeah, uh, it, it has changed uh, in terms of it, the fact that it's all paved now. Uh, and, yeah. you know, that has that's opened it up in some respects. And when you look at some of the cars that are on there, you could never run. All right, Ben Tager could could certainly have have gone up there but the the new challenger from vw the electric car that roman demise driving some of the older vehicles that are going up there and certainly the porsche cayman class and the gt3s the, the more racing cars they couldn't have gone up there uh in the old days could they well no and neither could the pair of normas that are no that's true yes as well uh, the 2014 McLaren 12C, you would never drive that on a dirt road. And if you did, you should be banished from every world <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> you know, a GT3 cup car. There are just so many mouth-watering. And I know it's a phrase we use a lot, but 
it literally is getting me that excited to think about this race. The week after Le Mans is normally that little bit of a time to just sort of exhale and gather your thoughts back together again before the craziness kicks off of the two IMSA weekends back to back. Now I'm looking at plane tickets, seeing how I can get out there because this is just magnificent. Well, it's been a bucket list uh, event for me for a very long time and I'm delighted to say that I will be going there for that event and then heading straight up to Canada thanks to the guys at American Airlines uh, and the Executive Platinum Desk for uh, letting me change my uh, travel arrangements and uh, really helping out in getting me to and from. It's going to be a long swing uh, for me. Shea, thanks for joining us tonight and I'll see you in a couple of weeks at, uh, at Detroit. Thanks, John. Probably talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Shea Adam joining us live from the States. And we're going to stay in the United States now as we uh, head up the East Coast to Boston and to Declan Brennan. Evening, Declan. Ah, John. Long time no talk rubbish. uh, You are very close to your microphone and you could probably do with backing it off or turning it down a little bit. I'm actually on the... I'm using the Skype via my phone because I am such a busy human being at the moment uh, with move and that sort of thing so let me pull over safely and hopefully we have good strong cell signal and then we can chat no that is absolutely fantastic you are you're perfect on there uh, at the at the moment um i i want to talk to you dex um in the main part about the a change in in the uh, in the laws in the states about about gambling and particularly online gambling but before i get to that um i'm I have to ask you about C.J. Wilson till Bechtelsheimer. Um, we've just been talking about the Bentley and the Mobile One Challenge. Uh, Pikes Peak RSL going to be the exclusive uh, digital partner for for that event uh, for Bentley. But as I was looking down through the list, uh, I did notice C.J. and till Bechtelsheimer's uh, name on that. Yes. In, in a in a in a Cayman GT4. Yeah. Well. Okay. So. For those of you who don't know, uh, which include me up to about an hour ago, uh, the uh, GT4 club sports are running their own class on Yokohama, control Yokohama tour uh, at the event. I I believe there are nine entries, which is a nice, healthy number. And uh, we got an interesting mix. As I, one of the the people who arguably is the favourite for the event that you didn't mention is Mike Skeen. Mm. Mike Skeen is also running along with, as you mentioned, Tim Pappas and uh, and uh, Travis Pastrana, who I will get to in a minute. He has a bit of he has a bit of uh, history, uh, which I will get to in a moment. But yeah, so CJ, I, I have to obviously put a huge caveat on this: is that I, I am uh, uh, not in any capacity speaking officially because this is a Porsche project. As far as I know, it's not a before anybody gets too excited. It's not a CJ Singh uh, side project with two, with the owner and one of its drivers. It's uh, it's very much uh, something that uh, for for CJ uh, came at the uh, behest of uh, Wysak, which is rather lovely, and they uh, they want him involved, uh, I believe. And and we I, I'm still awaiting all the details, but he obviously appears on the entry list. So hats off to you for your snooping abilities. Uh, <laughs> Till has wanted to do it for a while. Thank you. Yeah, Till's wanted to do it for a while. Interestingly, uh, Till ideally wanted to do it in one of his historic cars because he's a lunatic. Uh, and uh, the, there is a rule that says you can only compete in a historic car that has competed there yes. in the past. So I was witness to this. So over dinner when he discovered this at one of our races, he quickly Googled 
uh, his uh, one of his open wheel. I can never remember the name, but his uh, open wheel thing that he had at raced at Monaco last weekend, uh, and discovered a photograph of it on uh, on the loose at Pike's Peak. So we got very excited about the idea of running a uh, a nineteen fifties ill handling uh, unreliable open wheeler up uh, up Pike's Peak. Uh, he was talked out of it, thank goodness, and he's he's also entering the uh, the GT4 Club Sport class, and of course, and that's a chassis which he has. Uh, tons of experience from his time in the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge. So it, it's uh, I, I can't give you much more detail uh, other than I know uh, they practice the first week of June. Uh, they're, uh, they, they break for Le Mans. I don't think it's specifically for Le Mans, but they break the week after they are back uh, running with the, with the runs obviously early on the Sunday morning. Uh, and if you don't know, John, uh, something you'll obviously find out when you get there is very, uh, well, relatively peculiar uh, practice arrangement for for, uh, for Pikes Peak. You do not run the entire run until your run, your official timed run. You run three separate uh, practice sessions on the track divided into three, effectively. Yeah. So it is a very unusual uh, approach. And CJ is already watching... YouTube video, I believe, and and talking to everybody who can who's for, ever been up. There. For goodness' sake, don't let them watch climb dance. No, no, both hands on the wheels at all times. <laughs> uh, of course, of course, of course, we we do have one uh, obviously fundamental difference between the climb dance era, the the Group B era, if you will, and now, which is that the the road is obviously completely tarmac now, which has transformed. The speeds and and the type of vehicle that that, that wins there to some extent, but uh, uh, and the types of vehicles that are competing there. But he's uh, yeah, he's got a lot of prep to do. He's very excited as you can imagine, and mildly, mildly, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's approaching it with some trepidation. I'm personally very about the Inter Nissan CJ Wilson racing battle between uh, CJ Attil uh, in running for different teams, which should be fun. Yes, you might need to uh, calm them down just just a wee bit. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, hang on, John. I might need a very small envelope to pick up the the, the bits at the end of, if, if they're not careful. So, uh, Are you going? I am not. I have an invite and I I, uh, I uh, have an offer to do go do some work there. And unfortunately, I would be going uh, if it didn't. Uh, this is the most me thing that's ever happened. I can't go because I have to go to Wisconsin to a uh, a family event which is happening uh, about 90 minutes from Road America where the Indy cars will be <laughs> and they won't be going there either <sighs> so uh... of course <laughs> only you only you Declan um, yeah well it's been on my bucket list forever and I've never been able to get to it because it's normally clashed or it's been too close to Le Mans um, I get to go and I'm going to prepare by going and doing um, some uh, uh, hill climb um, as well um, um, now is that before or after uh, I think it's before yes it is I'm going to I'm going to Gersten I'm going to Gersten and I'm going to take one of the Porsches up Gersten thanks very much to those guys for that um, on a, on one of their school days sorry that's Gersten's like a 46 second run or something like that isn't it and and Chelsea Walsh is like a 35 second runner it's not really the same I'll do it? I'll do it many times I'll do it many <laughs> times in succession okay I will, say, I will say just on a quick thing on Travis he actually has a he might be the favorite because 
he has a ton of hill climb experience because he is also the track record holder at Mount Washington in ah. uh, New Hampshire, which, also, which is, in some respects, is is probably the last remaining old school U.S. hill climb because it's still a ton of it is still dirt and oh. and loose. And uh, he basically him and Mark Higgins uh, have swapped uh, track records and, and wins there over the past few years in Super. So uh, he uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he does a. Uh, uh, on tarmac, but but he definitely has a a little bit of previous uh, on these type of hill climbs. This is not what I wanted to get you on, so let's move it on because we've we've still got Graham to come, and he's standing by patiently. Um, bit of news that might have escaped a lot of people uh, this week, but might have a not on effect into motorsport about the potential easing of online gambling in in the US. Um, and not just online, John. Sports books in general, which is what they call what they call a bookie uh, in the UK. Uh, sports books, which are currently are effectively uh, betting operations that take, uh, you know, very much like a, a Ladbrokes or a Betfair or any any bookie operation in in the UK and Ireland and abroad. Uh, it uh, the Supreme Court has basically overturned a rule which now allows the states to make the decisions as to whether they want to allow sports books. Currently. Uh, it is Nevada and New Jersey, I believe. I might be wrong. Are the only uh, only states that allow uh, sportsbook gambling? Uh, but this opens up obviously uh, uh, a lot of opportunity. If specifically, if uh, the federal government decides not to get in the way of what the states want to do, and if they don't intervene, we could have a situation where effectively statewide. Gambling is effectively sports betting is effectively legal mm. uh, in a way that it never has been before, and the same for poker. And uh, and yeah, I, I I would I would believe that to some extent that gives in the shorter term at least medium short to medium term that gives solid opportunity for for uh, for uh, for the motorsport business because obviously if you still think about it, motorsport is still the only. Uh, sport where there is really heavy branding uh you know that is overt you know there's and the nba recently moved to branding on shirts but it's tiny it's on the strap on the shoulder yes uh you know it it, it doesn't and and these people are going to there's going to be a lot of people entering this marketplace trying to be to, to reach a position of dominance and we'll see i think we'll see for a while multiple brands coming in well, and looking for opportunities to tie up with, with across various sponsorship uh Disciplines. I I remember poker stars on Aston Martins in the LMS days, and to even do that in the US, poker stars had to set up a um, parallel site, which was play for fun, um, to be able to do that. Effectively, they were still putting their name out there and getting some uh, getting some brand recognition, if you will. But even that at the time, that was seen as being, oh, that's right on the edge. And I, I always thought that was yeah. rather rather odd. So so this is gonna this is taking all of that worry out. And, and as you say, the branding on the side of the cars, the potential for sponsorship, for getting the names in front of people. Um, now whether that translates to in race betting as well is is something else but basically what you're saying is you know it, it's a bit like putting a washing powder on the side of the car you don't expect everybody at the race to be doing their washing with that washing powder whilst they're there but what you're doing is creating brand recognition absolutely and and there, there will be uh I, I think we'll see it with personal sponsors i think we'll see it with team sponsors and, and the poker star thing is very interesting because they're based in the isle of man 
They are a, uh, a significant partner of Connor Cummins, who is obviously uh, an Isle of Man resident, Isle of Man, uh, Isle of Man uh, uh, born, uh, who obviously runs at the TT. Poker Stars are uh, one of a number of companies who, uh, in the last five years, settled disagreements with uh, with uh, the federal government in the U.S. And they are they have the blessing uh, from the federal government that as soon as uh, rules ease, they absolutely can operate, and that's oh, wow. now the case. So Poker Stars is a perfect example with a history in motorsport, as you said. Uh, now have the opportunity to come back uh, in, well, as soon as things settle down and, and everything is passed and we know exactly what the federal government decide to do, we'll have the opportunity to come back in. And that's what I'm talking about. It's, you know, uh, not to be too cynical, but but we really, motorsport absolutely has never, ever replaced uh, cigarette money, whether you, irrespective of what you think about it. The, the fact is it's never been replaced yeah. in terms of the sport has, has struggled to some extent since that disappeared. This is not going to replace it, but between this and the energy drinks companies, this is an opportunity for a lot of new money, like new uh, uh, that w- people are hungry for branding to come into the business. And I, I think we'll see two years, maybe two, two, three seasons of, of uh, season one. I'd imagine we'll, once this happens, I think you might see a lot of opportunity. But I think as 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 the marketplace consolidates, I'll still 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 think you'll see some significant brands involved. And 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 as a sport, we need new opportunities to go and sell our services to people. Dex, thanks very much. I'm not going to delay you much longer. I know you're very busy with the house move and things like that. Brilliant to join us whilst you're on the move and a, a fantastic line once we got it. So thanks, Dex Brennan, for joining us uh, from the US. Cheers, mate. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Declan Brennan there, uh, live from the US. Let's go uh, come back to the UK on this episode, packed episode of Midweek Motorsports, Series 13, episode number 19. Graham Goodwin, editor of dailysportscar.com. Good evening, Graham. Good evening, John. Good evening, everybody else. Lovely to hear you. Um, in your home office at the end of the garden, uh, not the world's fastest shed then, though that record was broken at the weekend. I bet you had but, loads of tweets about that, didn't you? It, it wasn't quiet, I can tell you that. <laughs> I've, I've, had, uh, I've had mainstream uh, media coverage for various things where I've had fewer tweets and messages. Thank you, everybody. Uh, but I've checked outside the home office and the shed is still there, so it's not mine. Right. Okay. Very good. Very good. A uh, busy week. Uh, we were mentioning this with uh, with Cher earlier on that uh, just because uh, there's no racing going on in the states at the moment, things have been very busy. They're doing their testing at Watkins Glen. Uh, meanwhile, at Monza. Oh, good grief! Yes, indeed. Uh, got chaos, confusion, and not a not a little. Absolutely fantastic racing. The European Le Mans series, round two, and it's just. It's ace, John. It really has come into its prime. Um, it's an area where the current P2 regulations absolutely has worked. Uh, knits in beautifully with LMP3s when we've got, uh, got driving standards to the required level, which isn't always and certainly wasn't always this weekend. 
and you know a perfect half dozen of uh, the GTE cars as well. So we had a fine weekend. Uh, you know, well, let's face it, one of the best places in the world to watch motorsport. Agreed. Uh, if, pe- if people didn't come thieving from the cars in the in the car park, it'd be absolutely perfect. Yes, sadly, that has been mm. uh, a feature f- for a very very long time at that uh, at that venue. Uh, and some of the teams have steered on to be joined by others because there's a bit of pre. Le Mans testing going on, multi-test, uh, multi-day uh, test, and it's a who's who of sports car racing. Uh, yeah, well, you know, th- we're now getting to the stage where, um, well, it's, it's two or three things still to run, aren't there? There's the teams that are definitely going, uh, that are getting ready. There's the teams that we're not yet sure about. I am pretty sure what's going to happen, but that we're not yet sure about officially, uh, and we wait and see what happens with those. And it's the, the precious few that are sitting there waiting with their reserve positions, wondering whether or not they're going to get the call. Well, let's let's take a few of those things before we talk about the, the testing in a, a wee bit more uh, detail. Let's take Dragon Speed, first of all. Elton Julian, yep. um, horrible accident for Pietro Fittipaldi. Lovely, lovely to see him uh, back home in Indianapolis um, on on what will be a long road to recovery. But he had a smile on his face. He's young. He wants to bounce back. Uh, I love that kind of attitude. Um, they will be going to Le Mans, but potentially, uh, I hear, not with the P1 car. Well, let's wait and see. There's no official confirmation yet uh, of what the plan is going to be. Uh, the clear thing they're definitely not going to be going back with is a BR1, because there isn't one. Uh, ah. The BR1... The BR1 uh, with the Gibson engine was a unique chassis. It was uh, refettled from the original spare chassis for SMP Racing. So that uh, that car was rebuilt and re-engineered to accept the normally aspirated engine. Uh, there is no spare chassis for that car. And uh, I'm not going to break confidences, but it's fair to say in the aftermath of the incidents, uh, there will be some answers required to what actually happened before Elton Julian puts his drivers in the car That's again. Fine. That's fine. So the the reality, I think, it's it's pretty clear. If they're going to go, it won't be in a P1 car. Um, it may may be subject to a final approval from the ACO in a P2 car. They are a full season WEC entrance. Uh, they already want to run a P2 uh, in the WEC, that car is already on the list, um, and they have a second P2 car, which of course they're running a parallel ELMS program Correct. for. So I think the request... So they've got the, they've got the chassis. If they were yes. to be allowed by the entrance committee of yes. the ACO, because let me remember, it's an invitation committee is the proper Absolutely. word, because despite the fact that we talk about pre-qualifying and automatic entries, there's actually no such thing for the mom because the entry, the invitation committee sits and ratifies all of those entries. So the, the invitation committee will have to sit and will have to decide whether there is enough um, force majeure to allow Elton Julian and Dragon Speed to shift from one class to another. Correct, and that's not a given. No. Uh, there's, a, there's at least one example of a team having requested, I believe, a change in P2 chassis uh, for this year's race, which was refused. Uh, but we're into now a situation where, well, look, if from the very from the top, we've got effectively five cars, which logic dictates. Uh, there may be some questions to uh, answer about. And those five cars are all LMP1 cars. Yes. Uh, everybody, I think, by now is familiar with what happened with the CFC TRSM Genetas. That was a matter of the team, that's TRS, not Manor, TRS, uh, having not paid for the cars. 
Uh, Gillette are therefore uh, saying we're not going to release those cars because, of course, the risk is if those cars are damaged or indeed destroyed, all of the risk goes back to Gineta. And if they manage to pull something back, you've then used cars and used spares, etc. Um, I am at this stage pretty confident we're going to see both Ginettas at the Le Mans 24 hours. Good. Things things will begin to emerge, I think, with a bit more clarity in the next 48 hours. Right. Uh, my understanding of the situation after Spa is uh, a lot of reassurance was required about there being a financial package in place quickly. The cars will have to test because, of course, there's very limited data on those cars mm. uh, in comparison to the other cars that have raced. So at the moment, a lot of very, very hard work going to make sure that those cars do uh, test and do uh, make the test day and then the race in June. In the hands of, of Manor, and still, or, or as a different team, or as a manufacturer entry, or don't we know yet? Well, the reality against the rules is that the team name must remain the same. <laughs> uh, whether or not that is up for grabs, or that again may be part of force majeure, we'll have to wait and see. But I think there's little doubt that the driving salt force... in the room wound there. Yes, isn't it? Uh, the uh, the little doubt that the driving force behind this and his sub force is Lawrence Tomlinson. Yeah. Um, so. I think we give him a bit of space to actually get this done. Agreed. Um, the the reality, when it comes down to it, is in no small part the most innocent parties here are, uh, are Gillette and, for that matter, uh, Mechachrome. Um, it is fair to say that I think Mana have been let down badly as well. Yes. I do, I believe, understand what has actually happened here. Uh, I think there is probably one guilty party i think it's the one that people do realize is the guilty party that have yeah. been under investigation in china it's to do with john the way in which an investigation then takes place uh, within china with any other chinese entity that's doing business with a with an entity under investigation so it's a very long sentence but effectively everything's frozen until everybody's clear on who's done what with whom when and how yes uh, and that's been uh, had a very unfortunate knock-on effect with other people who may be completely uh, you know un, uh, unrelated un linked unrelated that's the word i was looking for Sorry. um unrelated to the other issues but it does mean that money then effectively stops rolling so let's wait and see how that one actually works out but i think if you you know are a lover of things from yorkshire uh, you've got a pudding um, you've got tea, and you're going to have a couple of LMP1 cars as well to cheer on. Over the weekend. So that's those two. Over the weekend, but the the BRs, I, I, you know, we'll we'll find out because obviously the investigation continues about the Dragon Speed. But the point you've just made is is very important that that was a unique chassis because it had the yeah. uh, it had the Gibson rather than the AER engine in it. But quite clearly they share aerodynamic uh, componentry, particularly around the front end. Uh, so therefore, therefore one. Um, needs to be uh, cognizant of that. I spoke to a number of prototype drivers uh, over the weekend of some repute who were at uh, the Nürburgring, um, one of whom, Mark Webber, I'm sure he won't mind, um, was uh, quite uh, forthright in his opinions. Um, he believes that there's been a, um, a move pun entirely intended there um, with the way the cars are set up at the back prototypes are set up at the back for some time the rear centre suspension um, damping uh, and the way the car shuffles its weight backwards when it's accelerating 
Um, that's you know, and and there's a guy who knows of what he talks. So he's been upside down a couple of times in Airborne, hasn't he? Um, yes. Albeit in a different era. Um, so I, I think there's things to look at there. Um, I, I think the best thing for that is to wait to see. We can all speculate, but we simply don't know. Let's wait to see what comes out of. Uh, well, let me, let me tell you. I mean, I mean we did we did have Jensen Button testing the car. Yes. Um, albeit a very very almost airfield flat mini car, wasn't it? That he was uh, testing at. So I, I mean, um, I mean, have you spoken to PR? Uh, I've spoken to PR. I've spoken to a how can I put this well placed source within PR. Excellent. I think they're pretty confident that they understand why the accident happened to right. uh, Matevos Sakian. Should say by the way, Matevos was racing at the weekend in the LMS, uh, entirely unhurt in that. Ah, he's crashed at the top of Radion before. He did it in an SMP, another SMP. Did it in SMP? He did. Wasn't quite the double backflip and uh, <laughs> ram into the. Yeah, no, but he, interestingly, massive, massive though, shot. one of his teammates in an SMP Formula Three car did ex- had exactly the same accident and did flip it over at Radion yeah. in sixteen. So, well, I mean, I think it's it's fair to say that there are there are, clearly there are things that need to be decided. However, okay, there has been more than one, more than two, in fact, serious incidents to do with these BR1 chassis. One in testing that hurts Mikhail Lishin, uh, obviously the Pietro Fittipaldi uh, accident, and now the one for Zakian as well. So, what do we know? Uh, we know that BR believe that they understand the incident, and yet that yes, that would have involved the. Uh, Toyota was just ahead of yes. the BR car where we saw the footage. Uh, yes, it was to do with the fact that it was the low drag uh, body kit. Uh, so the things that you can do with that, they do, by the way, have a spare chassis for that team. Okay, so there is a third car, so the, the, the chassis obviously is not in the best of health after the treatment that was dealt out to the incidents, but they do have that, uh, that spare chassis. So we wait and see whether or not their... Um, their judgment accords with that of the investigation that is underway into, particularly into the Pietro Fittipaldi incident, but I've no doubt we'll be looking at the other car as well. Uh, That car, lest we misunderstand, I know was actually already up at the front before it left the track. They said, you know, all the kind of the speculation about curb or the painted lines Sorry, that's not the case here. That car, the front end of that car, had left the floor before it left the, dra- the racing surface. Hundred yes. percent. So well, that's why that... that's why he was where he was because he he yes. lost frontal aero and he'd understeered off, and no steering because Correct. the wheels weren't touching the ground. So that so that's that bit. We wait and see. The team are certainly confident that they um, they understand the incident and w- intend to bring those cars to race. You mentioned Jensen Button. Utterly bizarrely, um, on our way out to Monza, we drove, uh, went under an Alp and over an Alp. Um, the uh, slight problems at the tunnel, popped along to go and get a quick coffee. Uh, the lovely lady in the coffee shop said, hey, hey, that Jensen Button's around the back here in his Ferrari. Is he? I thought. Off we trot. And sure enough, there was the 2009 Formula One world champion uh, on his way to Manicor with a good, good old chat. He didn't know about the Azakian incident at that point. <laughs> oh, so he you did... told him? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. Uh, this is about, f- this is about 10 minutes. The last you're going to get from him. Uh, it won't be. I can tell you that for certain. <laughs> um, uh, 10 minutes later, of course, we saw the first still photograph of the incident. Yeah. Uh, the one with the, the Aston Martin on the peak and the, the yeah. front end of the car. And then just an hour or so later, uh, the YouTube footage that I think most people have actually seen. Yeah. Look, number one, 
it's clearly a very important year to make sure that the LMP1 class is established. Is anybody going to be in the in the uh, the mind to take any risks on this? No, no, they're really, no. really not, because the last thing anybody wants is is someone hurt at the Le Mans 24 Hours. No. Where does that leave us in terms of the entry list? Well, there are 60 cars currently on the entry. Uh, we've got uh, of the five that we said were at risk, John. I think stand where I said they stood. Yeah. Uh, Dragon Speed waiting for a, a yes or a no on force majeure. Ginetta with an arrangement that if they can produce the money and they can test the car for data, then they will be in. And then we wait and see what happens with BR1. But I think it's pointing at the moment towards the, the, the likelihood that those five teams will be there. Yeah. That means it's unlikely that we'll see any of the reserve cars. Well, I, I heard two different stories at the weekend, yep. as you might imagine. I was told for sure, absolutely, it's happened. KCMG have been told they're in. I was no, told that. Not true. I, I was told that on Friday. Uh, by Monday, I was told KCMG have withdrawn their entry. Uh, that is true. Right. Um, the, the, <laughs> so the, the, the KCMG. Um, Certainly, I think a lot of the teams on the entry on the uh, the, reserve. the list have been the reserve list have been contacted to find out how they currently stand. I'll have a story tomorrow morning explaining exactly where that stands. Right. Um, so I'm waiting for an answer from one team. I'm pretty certain that I know where uh, I know uh, exactly where things stand. I'll say this much, John: if all five of those cars don't go, we won't have 60 cars. I agree. Month. Yeah, because a couple of, I think three of the reserves had already dropped out, and we're not breaking in confidence saying that uh, KCMG now having withdrawn as well. That's another one of I think there was nine to start the way. There were nine. To yeah, start with, that nine. would leave so, five, and I'm and I'm absolutely certain that um, that of those five that would remain, not all five of them. I, I'm not even sure if there's two or three of them who would go. But I'll I'll leave that. You can you can crack onto that. Uh, with your story tomorrow. We mentioned Monza uh, and the testing. Just a quick run through there. Rebellion testing their uh, Low downforce, downforce the kit on the R13. Yeah. Expecting to see some pictures of that uh, overnight or tomorrow morning. So we'll see how that looks. But that was an impressive debut for them uh, with that car in uh, Spa. Is the OT correct? No, it isn't. Uh, there should be no way that a car can start a lap down and lap the field. That's, no. uh, I think, clearly needs to be looked at. With it, will it be looked at this side of June? Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> will it be looked at afterwards? Probably yes. Yes. So let's just leave that to one side in this extraordinary year that we've actually got for the moment. Do I like it? No, I don't. Am I going to have to put up with it? Yes, yes I am. Um, Shall we go on to brighter but... things then? Uh, Peter Durrani yes. in the yes. AF course of Ferrari GTE. Uh, that was yesterday, I think. Now it I'm, was, I'm still yeah, the number 52 car. Yeah, great to see him back, and I can't think of a better person to put in that car. Frankly, I think he'll he'll fit in with those guys very, very well indeed. He is a class and quality driver, and deserves the the seat that he's got. Yeah, and it explains why we had him on the grid at the LMS because that was the first I'd seen of him. He was obviously there for the test with the third day of Corsa car. Uh, running, by the way, if you look carefully at it, with the rather unusual uh, mix of the Shell sponsors of Ferrari, of course, and the number uh, panels for the Le Mans car already on that car with Total branding yeah. rather than the DHL branding we see for the WEC. Right. So Total has clearly extended their deal um, to include some uh, some branding on all the cars as well, which would be a b- big plus for them. Uh, so yes, his first run in that, not of course his first run in a GTO Pro, uh, GT Pro car, because of course he had that running with Ford as well, raced at the Mon last uh, last year with Ford, last year. Yes. Yes. 
Um, and yeah, Pipo uh, goes from strength to strength, doesn't he? He's done fine things in LMP2 cars. Uh, he's done some fine things in GT cars. And could he be part of the future for Ferrari? Is that oh, possible? I, Let's wait and see. It would be very, very good. Uh, now, you weren't... Um, uh, you weren't at the Nurburgring this year. Cause thanks you for reminding me. Yep. Well, you missed you missed a cracker. It literally did. Oh, thanks, everyone. This uh, it, re- it really did. Another extraordinary Porsche uh, victory uh, gives them another uh, overall victory, of course. And I mean that race just goes from uh, strength to to strength. I love. I I I, I really encourage everybody to uh, go to dailysportscar.com um, and read. The fight for the win at the Nürburgring 24, part one. If you come back P2, don't come back with the car, in quotes. Yeah. I'm going to say no more than that. That is well, now, the, that, the, that, that, that is not clickbait. That is not a clickbait no, 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 headline. That's exactly what he was told. Uh, by the way, the part two of that, which is Adam Christodoulou's side of it, uh, done by Sam Tickell, who you'll remember from, uh, from Bathurst, Bathurst. Uh, but now lives in Belgium doing mm. a, a PhD in motorsport communications. Mm. Uh, so he'll be seeing and reading a lot more from Sam in the coming weeks and months. But yes, uh, Adam Christa do lose part in that uh, is, uh, I'm literally just about to post it right now. Mm. Uh, but you know what? It is just the most unique oh. um, event on the planet, isn't it? It is. Uh, it before is. I forget, by the way, um, what a brilliant job by the Aston Martin team. Well, uh, put that to one side because, and, and hold that thought for a moment, because uh, Andy Palmer was with us on Saturday morning and spoke about uh, a number of uh, very important things. Now, we played this out, or at least a slightly longer version of this out, on Saturday in our countdown to the new British Racing Green. Uh, but I, I doubt Graham's heard it, and some of you won't have heard it. Uh, it's a little bit shorter. I've edited it down to some of the more important things. Have a listen to Andy Palmer as he talks about the direction for Aston Martin Racing, for Aston Martin Lagonda, the car company, and how everything is meshing together. This was Saturday morning at the Nürburgring. AMR Aston Martin Racing was always the name of the race team, but uh, Geneva Motor Show last year, we, we said that we'd step AMR to become a, a, a brand of Aston, always representing the highest level of performance. Um, and last night, you're right, was the unveiling of the uh, DB11 AMR, basically replacing the DB11 V12 Coupe, pushing it up in, in horsepower, um, making it sharper both in design and in handling. And it's a representation of that, uh, that track to tarmac. Most of our listeners will immediately associate A, M and R with the race team. Mm. As you mentioned, it's going to be a lot more than that going forward. It is. I mean, it's the wrong analogy, but but if you think about Mercedes and AMG, uh, think about Aston, which which of course is already a high performance, but Aston and AMR. So it's always the, the pinnacle of performance and it's always taking something from the track, be it be it Valkyrie with Formula One or, 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 or be it um, DB11 with, with, with the stuff coming from, from WEC and the Neuschleifer. Um I saw Valkyrie last night and it, it's even more stunning in the carbon fibre than it is from the pictures that I've seen it. The proportions are extraordinary. The car is extraordinary. Um, that car represents the pinnacle of thinking the pinnacle of design from both Adrian Newey and, and Marek Reichman who is completely dipped in Aston Martin and knows it inside and out 
the car that I was looking at last night was the Valkyrie AMR Pro again yes. with the AMR three three letters in there and that's the track only version of the car that I looked at last night exactly so that's got everything that we know um, <laughs> everything we know everything Adrian knows um, we believe from all the simulation if you were to take that to a Formula One race you and you had the driving skills that, that I clearly don't have uh, but if but you put a Formula One driver in it you'd probably end up somewhere in the top 10 of a Formula One race uh, to put into context the the road version um, if you were to take that, you could drive that to Le Mans, race in Le Mans, probably be on the podium and drive it home because it's a road car. Le Mans and the WAC are in a state of flux at the moment. Um, there's a new set of regulations coming out for the top class, the prototype class, whatever that's going to be called. You've already committed with the new Vantage to GTE and that continues. Um, what can you tell us about how you are looking into the midterm with thoughts about what might happen at the front of the field. I don't know whether I was the first, but I do remember sitting in on one of the FIA uh, meetings um, when the ACO was, was present and they were talking about the future of LMP1. And I know that I piped up and said, I have no interest in, in racing prototypes, but give me a race where, where we can throw a, a, a Valkyrie-type project car against a LaFerrari, against a, a P1, against a 918, or, but then, then I'm really interested and, and you're bound to draw the, 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 the manufacturers in because you almost can't not be there. You've got to show off your, your best and top technology. So, and, and, the and can it still be a technology formula because the criticism of the hybrid, the previous hybrid formula for LMP1, which was phenomenal, and it pushed technology forward in, in my mind, certainly, um, but it was expensive. So can it still be a technology formula? I think it's more so, to be honest. I think, but but it's different. It's 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 technology that hopefully has to bear a resemblance to what Joe Public can drive on the road, and I think that makes it much more profound. You know, it's it's one thing to have. The, the pinnacle of combustion, but it's useless if you can't transfer that for, as a, from track to tarmac. So, so I, I think it, it, you know, with the right rules, and, and we're hoping that the we, the way the rules are being written is that a, a Valkyrie type product could race. Then obviously you're, you're actually going from therefore from road to track, mm. which makes it even more interesting. So the more you can mix it up, the more that you can make it relevant to your Ford Fiesta. Mm. Um, I, th I think the better. You know, with all of the talk about the banning of gasoline engines, moving to plug-in hybrids, uh, uh, diesels are bad and all the rest of it, the more the industry can fight back with using, you know, basically race technology into road cars, demonstrating that you can take that, that learning and, and make traditional, what we would call traditional technologies more relevant, be it through aero, be it through ride and handling, be it through the combustion engine process, um, I think that's the way to go. That's the best way of tackling the, 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 the myopic approach to, to, to emissions, which is to say, just make it all electric. No, there has to be a suite of different technologies, and it's onerous on the car companies to, to make, basically make that case to government. I want you to explain to our listeners that EMR umbrella now, will that include EMR as a race team, or has it just become a separate brand? How does that work? Oh no, it includes everything that we do, basically track or track inspired. So whether it's um, racing in WEC or, or, mm. or, the, or, or um, this race, uh, 
whether it's uh, taking a car on a track, whether it's taking our customers to track days, mm. um, everything that encompasses basically tracking inspired cars is held under the, the AMR banner. Uh, and um, you, you saw the, the facility that we opened last night. You'll start now to see a network of those uh, around the world close to the, the greatest racetracks in the world. Um, it all comes together under Dave King, you know, you know mm. very well, and he's president of AMR, so he does our special cars, therefore he does the AMRs, mm. he does our racing, uh, and basically he's the, essentially the landlord of the, uh, the AMR performance centre that, uh, that you saw yesterday. And uh, what, what I hope you see with Aston now is a, is a much more professional company, a company that's um, pulled itself to, to a global level. Uh, we don't want confusion between the people's great, great, great people that run our uh, racing activity that they, they support it but that doesn't diminish the fact that AMR Aston Martin Racing is basically part of the of, of the mother company mm. and that Dave King runs it and Dave King sits on our, on my first line it's that important where does Formula One fit in with that and within the, the broader context of Aston Martin uh, AMR and Aston Martin Lagonda same umbrella it's under AMR David is engineering the uh, and manufacturing actually the, the Valkyrie both 001 and 002 so it falls under the AMR umbrella um, we, you'll see us start to, 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 to use within Formula One the AMR nomenclature over, over a period of time um, in the same way as, as Mercedes show the AMG yeah. uh, so you'll see that and that, that could be could be for example um, if, the, if the Formula 1 rules are sufficiently different for the engine it could well be that AMR produces the engine ah. obviously there's a debate the legacy the legacy manufacturers obviously they don't want to change anything why would they they've got a you know they're doing very nicely and they're not standing on the top steps every week in week out uh, but there needs to be a challenge because Formula One also has its problems mm. um, it's getting better I must say but yeah. you just can't have parade after parade and and it should really I think all racing has to be ultimately about the drivers doesn't it not necessarily just about the machinery and today Formula One runs the risk of all being, all being about the engine so level set um, it's not about tuning down the technology it's just bringing a different type of technology um, and let the drivers race Aston Martin in a better financial position than it has been at any time in my lifetime above target for over a year coming into the sixth quarter of, of profit those of us that read the financial pages and, and look at the automotive stories it's a good story it's a great story for great britain expansion above expansion you've talked to us before about a mid-engine car as well still on track for all of that yeah i mean the mantra is seven cars seven year one car each year copy repeat copy repeat uh, so. <laughs> you say that as if it's just that easy <laughs> well you know it, it isn't rocket science conceptually. I mean, basically, you need um, a continuum, you need a tempo of, of new launches mm. uh, because you've got to keep the, 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 the company relevant and top of mind. Uh, you've got to be taking technology from one car and taking it to the next car. So you need this tempo. And if you look back historically over the history of the company, it's always been about one car, and then you know that's the next 12 years done. And you, you can't run a car company like that. So, so I've got good private equity owners. They've put their money where their mouth is. They've they've allowed me to, uh, to to do this second century plan. These seven seven core cars coming, peppered with lots of, of specials as well. Mm. You know the Zagatos and the the, the Valkyries, etc. And yes, you've got, um, obviously, DB11 is now, the range is complete with mm. yesterday's AMR. The Vantage is just in, in, in the throes of launching. There's a Roadster version to come. Um, in, in, in the next couple of weeks, we'll be announcing the DBS Superleggera, the re replacement to the Vanquish. DBX, the SUV, 
made in South Wales, just around the corner, uh, coming in 2019. Um, then there's a mid-engine car. Uh, we start already, of course, with that because the whole purpose of Valkyrie is to fertilise the ground that makes it not surprising for Aston to come with a mid-engine car. Right. That's what Valkyrie's about. That's what Formula yes. One's about. Yes. And, and you'll see uh, sons of uh, ultimately coming down so that we ultimately have a car that populates that Ferrari 488 space. And then there's the two Lagondas, and the two Lagondas, of course, are there to disrupt the duopoly that exists today. Uh, and it does that by saying we're not going to play with a V12 engine, we're not going to play with plug-in hybrids, we're going 100% electric. And the benefit of that is that you don't have to package protect an engine space. So you can, you can completely change the architecture of the car, and you can have, for a relatively short overall length, the internal space of, a, for example, a, a Phantom. Yeah. A, a final word about Aston Martin racing. Um, the colour scheme is already becoming something that we pick out in the paddock. Is this the new British racing green that we're talking about here? That's what inspired it. It was basically let's let, let's let, let's be different, but let's also link back to traditions and the idea that uh, you know Aston Martin. It, we're the only British team racing this weekend, mm. um, and, and we do it in our own flair and style. It has to be disruptive yet traditional, and it is. It's the new British racing green. Andy Palmer. I, I do love talking to Andy Palmer and the way we can swing between talking about the colours of race cars to disrupting a duopoly of Bentley and, and Rolls-Royce in the super prestige saloon category and um, copy and paste to do seven cars in seven years. He, he, uh, no other wonder he's such an inspiring uh, leader. Uh, only V12, only British manufacturer, best result ever, could have been on the podium, nearly was, won their class, fourth overall, that had taken that at the beginning of the week. What a way for the Vantage V12 GT3, Graham Goodwin, to step out of works international competition. And what a way for the V12 in Aston Martin mm. uh, racing history to, if not quite yet, because we've still got, obviously, very credible efforts in the Blancpain Endurance Series and the British, British GT, GT Championship, yeah. amongst others. But um, inspiring stuff. And, you know, the more time you spend with Andy Palmer uh, in his time at Aston Martin, the more confident you are. If you, if you love the great brands, and I do, and I know you do too, mm. Uh, that they've got the right man here. Oh, yeah. um, you know, it, it. I tend to kind of focus on the same kind of outlook when you ask questions about people who have, you know, a public profile. And I come back to this one thing. I've said it before about the likes of Lawrence Tomlinson and amongst others, which is he's done exactly what he said he would do Correct. last year and the year before that. Yep. And he continues to do that and he continues to have a strategy around that. And all I can say to you, John, and I'm sure you recognise this as well, is I've never known Aston Martin to be as happy a ship as it is now. Oh, I um, completely agree. I, I made the point that never in my life, lifetime has it gone through such a period of expansion and stability. Yeah. Um, you know, from ever since I was a small boy, to coin a phrase, Aston Martin was changing hands. They never, you know, a lot of the great cars they produce, they don't own any of their own history. They have to borrow it back in. The way it is now is unrecognisable from where it was certainly 30 years ago, 20 years ago, possibly even 10 years ago. A uh, couple of points that, that he made yeah. there that I, want, that I want to come up on. He talked about the new set of regulations for Le Mans and for the new era, for, which should start in 2022, when, by the way, as it stands at the moment, the uh, Nürburgring 24 and Le Mans 24 will run on the same weekends. Probably not going to happen. Let's hope not. Um, 
you heard what he said about a development thereof of something that looks a bit like a Valkyrie from them and from other manufacturers would be their preferred choice. That is what I'm hearing more and more from all of the manufacturers who support the WEC uh, and Le Mans. Um, what I'm not hearing is any news about the uh, regulations which are due to be presented, Graham, in pretty much a finished form in six weeks' time. I, I suspect it won't be a, f- a finished form. I think what we get, what they're driving for, John, is something that uh, they can lay out as a framework. I think we're pretty clear on what that is likely to look like. We've got a clear view from uh, Pierre Fion and now from Jean Tot as to what they want to see in terms of the level of manufacturer involvement. Um, the key question on everybody's lips is, can they pull off the... A magic trick of this being a global formula um, and you know what are we going to see I think we're going to see something that is it, it, it gets close to what Andy's asking for but it doesn't quite match I think his ultimate aspiration Andy I know you know would love to race effectively a Valkyrie AMR that's not going to happen no uh, what I think is going to happen is that there'll be something they can make look like a Valkyrie so is this uh, DPI the... plus then so what you've got is is the idea of DPI is taking a racing chassis and throwing some bodywork around it that the manufacturers can utilise and um use in advertising and PR um, what it doesn't allow them to do is to uh, trumpet their latest technology from their road yep. going cars um, and uh, that is more important to some manufacturers than others notably Toyota of course now so if this is son of DPI then it would have to surely have some kind of hybrid at least yes. a mild hybrid yes. um, it would have to have some form of recognisable elements from Porsche from Ferrari from McLaren from Brabham from um, Aston Martin all people by the way who have told me directly to me senior senior figures from from those organizations that they would like to do this and toyota it would have to have some recognizable elements or at least styling cues from the road cars is that doable uh not is it doable i think that's what they're going to try and do and you know for the conversation so that won't but that won't be that won't be a global formula because imza won't throw dpi under the bus to move to an aco formula again well, I think the answer is that's going to be determined by two things. It's going to be determined by IMSA, the organisation. It's going to be determined as well by IMSA's customers, uh, those manufacturers. And what we are increasingly beginning to hear is that whereas it doesn't seem that long ago, does it, John, that we're hearing from a number of them that, no, never, no, no, won't do that, no, no way, can't, won't, you shan't. All of a sudden, things are moving in a direction where they will consider it if – and it's a big if you can get to the stage where the costs are controlled. And mm. there's a number of ways in which that could happen. Exactly, by the way, what you said is, I believe, exactly what we're going to hear. I think we're going to uh, the, the days of, you know, hoping for in a year or two that we might get fuel cell technology. And people want look, they've, they've learned the lesson that if you're going to do that, you've got to do that in a very much more controlled way than mm. they were able to do. Uh, the stuff, frankly, the half-baked um, uh, LMP1 regulations that were revealed last year um, which when we came away from that press conference I have to say I was scratching my head and thinking really 
Um, and it in, fairness, to be... in fairness, we did that at the hybrid regulations as well to start with, and they turned out to be we, pure we... genius. The, the one uh, thing yeah. I do agree with you on there is budget. Now, yes. if the ACO are talking about reducing budgets and, you know, what did Toyota spend? 80, 90 million um, euros, maybe. Uh, Porsche and Audi were spending probably twice that and a bit more, a couple of hundred million euros, a little bit more if they were developing a new car in the year. Uh, so if they were to bring that down to 30 million euros, that would look like a huge cost saving for the European teams. The problem is that's probably between five and eight times more than what the US IMSA manufacturers are spending on their CVs uh, and their development costs at the moment. So what looks good for one side of the Atlantic is still too much money for the for for the guys in America. I think it depends, doesn't it, on whether or not you're you're looking at, let's say Ford, for instance, Ford, one of the numerous manufacturers, small and large, have said, look, we're interested if yeah. we can have a formula you can brace on both sides of the Atlantic. This is the critical point, I think, about it, John, because we've effectively got three or four different subsets. You've got um, the subset that says we're just interested in the technology. You've got the subset that are just interested in the budget. You've got the subset that want to race in the States, don't really care about racing anywhere else. You've got um, the likes of for instance, McLaren and Ford, for starters, that say we'd love to do both, mm. or at least elements of both. And then you've got the likes of Andy, uh, Andy Palmer, who'd like something that is subtly different. Actually, not that subtle, but no. d- different. Well, for, and Andy Palmer do, and Andy Palmer at McLaren as well, because he's absolutely you know, very confusing. Absolutely. Two different Andy Palmers. No, don't disagree with any of that. Um, congratulations to Aston Martin at the weekend for the uh, the fabulous Excellent. run. Um, a, a, an absolute British classic going into retirement. And we finished tonight with a quick word about another one. As Guy Smith, the 2003 Le Mans winner, 2011 uh, ELMS champion, uh, British karting champion, second in the world uh, championships uh, as well. Um, he has decided to call it a day and has called it a day in the middle of the season. He will be a big miss. Well, uh, for so many reasons. I mean, the, the story from Guy, completely correctly, he wanted to debut the new car. He wanted to bow out at his home race. He's going to be allowed to do that. And well done for Bentley to allowing that Agreed. to happen. It seems a long, long time ago that I bumped into Guy Smith at Petit Le Mans, John, I think my first time there. And his career was in a bit of a dip there was a possibility of program he couldn't really tell me about, which ended up to be uh, the Bentley program. Um, he has been there and has been a fantastic ambassador for them. He's driven everything. He's driven it well. He's had success. He's had trials and tribulations. He's driven a Routemaster bus for me, uh, bless him, in my day job, <laughs> and was brilliant at that as well. 38 miles an hour around the speed bowl um, at uh, at Myra, which, which is a world record for a route master bus. No one has uh, gone it, any faster. It's never been the same since he drove it. I'll be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> I actually saw the same bus the other week, and it's uh, it's still, it still bears the marks. But listen, uh, if he's listening in. Good luck to you, sir. We will see him racing again. I think he's going to be uh, becoming a very important part of the customer program for Bentley and certainly as a brand ambassador, no doubt whatsoever. Well, plus, he's uh, never but... going to give up his Mark II Escort rally car either. So it's still I don't know, of course that. he's not. But, you know, he is, you know, he's just, he is 
exactly what a Bentley boy should be. Here, here. He's a proper gent. Uh, I'll be speaking to him at the weekend and uh, we'll have a, a longer chat with Guy in the coming weeks. It's been He's been on our hit list for one of our Tyler's long ones for a very long time. Grim, thanks very much for your time tonight. We've managed to pack a lot into a small space. If you weren't with us earlier on, some big news this week that, uh, talking of Bentley, that the Bentley Mobile One Bentega Pikes Peak programme have chosen Radio Show Limited for uh, to be their exclusive digital partners and broadcast partners for the Pikes Peak uh, effort. Uh, I can also tell you that confirmed uh, as well today, and thanks to the French Radio Authority, uh, Mobile One Radio Le Mans will be 91.2 FM. Our traditional frequency has been given back to us, so you can lock that into your car radios and your transistors even as we speak. Thanks to Shea, to Nick and to Graham. The responsible adult was uh, Eve Hewitt. Tim Gray will be back in the captain's chair next week. I'm John Hindoff. There's no time to explain because the llama is going to practice running up hills. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.